It's a sensitive, delicate deal dragging brand new songs out of the sky, trading ideas, accepting some, storing others in the maybe later bag, moving on and along with hardly a plan. During the Zep years, I never imagined a full-scale album project without the other guys, and even less the idea of new writing partners. But then, since 1981, I've enjoyed many amazing, exciting musicians in the sharing, in the writing, in production and engineering. Men and women who encouraged and enlightened, introducing me to crazy curves I could never have imagined. For this podcast, I'm going to be picking out some songs from here and there along the way, mixing constant shifts in sound and intention from across this long, old time. There's a story in all of them. I'm Robert Plant, and this is Digging Deep. Hello, and welcome to Digging Deep with me, Matt Everett, and of course, Robert Plant. This episode concerns a song from Robert's group, Band of Joy. Now, Band of Joy is a name that surfaced more than once in his career. Firstly, in 1966, when Robert fronted a group with that title performing out of the Midlands. The mighty John Bonham would also take his place behind the drum kit with them for a while as well. But in 2010, the name was revived for a new band. This band would draw from a swirling mix of cover versions and reinterpretations, dabbling in psychedelia, US and UK folk music, blues and swampy soul. What song are we tackling next? What are we going to turn our attention to? This is Monkey from the album Band of Joy, September 2010. The journey musically, the zigzag of uh, friends and and brand new people in my time has been always been quite dynamic. So following the Mighty Rearranger album and the great adventures with that, with still Strange Sensation, yet to change their name, I went to America and uh, with um, Bill Flanagan from VH1 was running a program called uh, Crossroads. So you could put Kid Rock with... P.J. Harvey. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to say that. Uh, but it was th- these really unlikely uh, meetings. and uh, that, that would be a bad thing. But, I mean, Well, I think it would be fantastic. <laughs> well, I don't know how either of them would feel. <laughs> so I got, the suggestion was, how do you feel about singing with, trying something out with Alison Krauss? So that went through its motions and was a magnificent adventure. And when that adventure finally had done the rounds and we'd been everywhere that we possibly could go, playing all over the planet, really. Uh, Alison and I went our separate ways and I stayed in Nashville. And uh, uh, Buddy Miller, who'd been playing guitar with us on tour live, uh, he and I had really gravitated throughout the Raising Sand tour. And we had so many amazing monuments and pillars and characters in the history of music that we both had great affinity for and he could kind of 
his style was so amazingly diverse from sort of link ray to almost to the most tasteful spanish nylon string guitar player it was just an absolute privilege to be around somebody who could t turn his head and mind and his gift and also as a player but also as a friend we we got pretty close and so when Alison and I said farewell uh for at least for then um I said we've got to keep going we must keep going and I was so inspired I said let's call it the band of joy because that had been the the name of the group with John Bonham and I were in before we joined the Yardbirds and um so we went about gathering songs Gillian Welsh and David Rawlins had got a studio in East Nashville, uh, which had been a really quite an amazing studio in the mid-early 60s, where they'd recorded lots of Glen Campbell stuff. And, and it, it had actually closed down for many years, and they'd renovated it to the degree that it was ready to use. So they said, well, you can have it for nothing. You just buy the tape and pay the engineer. <laughs> and, but, you know, it was a great, fantastic room. And um, so we duly went in there. And the, the amazing thing is that that, re that Band of Joy record had hardly any preparation except for, I mean, those musicians who sound insanely great don't want to know about the song until they're standing with their equipment ready to go. So there's no preamble because they want to be real fresh and try this from another point. So it's like your 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 chops, your skills have got to be yeah. so high that it's like, yeah, just, we'll but just do all, a playthrough and then do it. Sure, but maybe not even high at all. Maybe just how they feel it should be interpreted. Right. Just Because it's still a song, so it's got a verse and a chorus and a bridge. And um, it was insane. I mean, yeah, so Jay Bellarose, and then came from Raising Sun, then came uh, Marco Giovino, who played drums with us in the Band of Joy. And we started this groove that was really, really good. And I said, you know, I'm really missing a voice. Um, but he said, well, I'd just been working with Patty Griffin, and she just got us. He produced an album called Downtown Church with uh, the McCreary sisters and, um, and Patty singing, and Patty got a Grammy for best gospel album of the year and insane singing and uh i couldn't even imagine somebody like coming through the door who could sing like that to sing on stuff i'm i was doing because it's she seemed to have so much of herself that how do you actually lock that beauty with what i'm doing with set melody it seems like patty always needs to sing with so much flex and so much ease and wherever she wants to go she can play with the melody and, and when you sing and side by side you've got to keep it tight and i've been listening to an album called the great destroyer by low probably one of the best albums i think in the history of vinyl it's a good record yeah and um so i wanted to do silver rider and i wanted to do monkey and uh so we then moved to another studio in Nashville, and 
And but he very nonchalant says, "Yeah, well, I'll call her and see if she wants to come by, because that's about as intense as it gets." So she comes by and says hi, and then we start singing together. And it was like a like, whoa, what? How do you do that? And it was just a real earth moving moment because the song is so seductive and so beautiful and so remote uh, in its original form and uh, that was kind of really almost the beginning of Patty and I singing together for two years or so we did Silver Rider we did uh, so many songs that were great songs you know and uh, yeah I think it was a major breakthrough for me because it also meant that Buddy could take use another part of his style because when he sings with uh, Judy Miller his wife they've got this style which is splendid but he knew all about Question Mark and the Mysterians Camp Five you know uh Sky Saxon and the Seeds. He was into Dick Dale and uh, ridiculous guitar players. And he, uh, Travis Wamack, he got it all there. So he just turned into this other guy playing in the, on these trippy tracks. Trippy tracks. Um, and so the song, that whole deal of Monkey is uh, pretty far out, I think. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's quite a song, you know, in your, if, you're, if you're tackling lyrics you're interpreting lyrics oh my my little white lie i swear i'm gonna make it this time tonight you will be mine tonight the monkey dies hmm. is it possible to do those songs without i mean i guess you have to find something of your own experience or your own world if you're going to sing them properly and with that one i mean well yes and no because the way that the vocal line is elastic it's the and and actually the way that the glissando of the voice the way it it begins but it in pitch and it starts in one place but it it's kind of low and swerves down into the next part so it, it's it's like a it's like a delivery with or without the words it's just the melody is so um, seductive I think yeah but it is a lyric. I don't know whether you've seen Low, but they come now to Britain a lot, and they're they're on fire here. It's really good to see them. Their popularity is growing more and more. When people cover your songs, do you, how does that? 
When people get it right, how does that feel? And when people get it wrong, how does that feel? <laughs> well, I don't know, because I don't hear them, really. I mean, I'm not being silly, but I just... I know Sandy Shaw did a version of Your Time Is Gonna Come. Then there's Kingdom Come. And there's... Yeah. I don't know much about that other world, really, now. Um, I'm not being funny, I just don't know. And um, I don't think too many of my solo songs have been covered. Uh, Alison did a Alison Krauss did a version of Big Log. <sighs> another song next time? Yeah. Should we tackle another one next time? Mm. Okay. Then we'll do that. And there you have it. That was Digging Deep episode 10, all about the song Monkey. If you enjoyed it, ah, you can get the rest of the series so far. It's all up on your podcast provider, which is where you can hear the next episode too. So do hit subscribe so you don't miss it. And this Digging Deep podcast has inspired Robert to release a special new limited edition Digging Deep box set. It's coming out on his own label, as Paranza, and it includes tracks from each of his solo albums, uh, hit songs, rarities and b-sides, but all pressed onto glorious limited edition 7-inch vinyl, all packaged up in this fantastic bespoke hardback book format, including the original 7-inch artwork as well. That's coming out on February the 28th, but you can pre-order it right now. There's more info at robertplant.com. We'll see you for the next episode very soon. I've been Matt Everett. Thanks for listening. This has been a Cup and Nuzzle production.